The 18th century philosopher Immanuel Kant asked these four questions. What can I know? What should I do? What may I hope for? And what is man? The root of the word psychology is psyche, which is Greek for spirit or soul. An evolved man is many things. He is tender and he is tough. He is humble and he is confident. He is grateful for what he has and yet still constantly seeking. Today we discuss reverence. Reverence is about deep respect. This is about respect for life, respect for others, and has to do with the connections that we can improve with a higher power, with other people, and even to the natural world. Reverence is about recognition of the purpose of life, the sanctity of life, the significance of life, and it includes spirituality, but not necessarily traditional religion. You're a man that controls his own destiny. A man that is always in the pursuit of being better. You are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Welcome back to the Alpha Quorum Show. Brad Singletary here. You guys, I'm so excited. Number one, this is our 77th episode. Boop, 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 boop. This has been such, a, such an amazing, awesome journey. I think what we're doing here is very meaningful, and I get feedback all the time about how men and even their loved ones, uh, 20% of our listeners are female. But I get feedback all the time about how they are stronger because of what we're doing. Today, we're going to continue the series on the Red Nine. We're talking about reverence. I'm here with my buddy Taco Mike. Hello. And we have a guest that I'd like to introduce. He is the founding pastor of Discovery Church and has been in ministry since 1983. He's a graduate of Bethany University and Santa Clara University. He has a master's degree in counseling and psychology and is an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. He's also a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Nevada and a national certified counselor. He's worked for a variety of ministry and therapy settings. He's been a youth and children's pastor, a singles pastor, and started a counseling center in Las Vegas that included several therapists and became an internship site for UNLV students. In the therapy field, he has worked in a psychiatric hospital for adolescents and children, worked in a church counseling center, and taught at three different universities. He supervised students in university counseling centers as well. He is an AAMFT-approved supervisor and supervises marriage and family therapy and clinical professional counselor interns. He volunteers at, as the lead police chaplain for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and works primarily out of the Northeast Area Command. His wife, Janelle, is an analyst with Las Vegas Metro Police Department, and they have two adult daughters and three grandchildren. Dean and Janelle have been married for 37 years. In his spare time, Dean loves to golf and fish. Welcome, everyone, to Dean Sanner. Thanks for being here, brother. What's up? Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I think we've been working on this for like a year to try to get you in. You're a busy man. For a while, yeah. <laughs> so you, 1983, you were a pastor. I was eight years old. I, I think that you've been, uh, you've been pretty busy for, for some time. And and I think this is also good news for Mike. For once, he's not the oldest guy in the room, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know, though. But we're pretty close, maybe. D Dean, that's a hell of a CV. Um, can you believe you've done all that stuff? I can't. I'm sitting there listening to it going, oh, my gosh. It makes you sound old. <laughs> <laughs> and, Dean, I got to apologize. If, if throughout this, if I call you Dave, I, I don't. I think you look like Dave Ramsey. And so if I, if I say Dave, I've been told I told that. Uh, <laughs> All right, so tonight we're talking about reverence. You know, we've talked about so many things about what it means to be an alpha, and of course we are not talking about the traditional worldly, you know, the animal kingdom alpha where you're just out there spreading your seed and, you know, showing off your six-pack abs. We're talking about being the highest version of you and bringing forth the best that is within you. And I don't think that you can do those things without taking care of your spirit. You may be going to the gym, you may have tons of money, you may be successful in many areas of your life, but if there's no regard for 
what is within you, I don't know that we can really fully become all that, that we're meant to be. So I want to start with, I guess, the big topic, and that is about a higher power. I have a higher power. I've had a love-hate relationship with him, honestly, <laughs> and uh, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place with that right now. It's been a little bit up and down. Maybe we'll get into some of that later about why, but let me just throw out the question first of all, you guys. Why do we need a power greater than ourselves? Well, I guess if I was going to answer that, one of the things that I would throw out there is that uh, if we had everything together, if we have life under control, if we ourselves are independent and fully capable of managing everything we face, some might say, well, I don't really need a higher power then. I know myself, I'm not capable of doing that. I've got a lot of flaws. Same. Uh, the CV made it sound good, but uh, <laughs> not as good as I sound on paper. All right. So we, we may tend to think we don't need that if everything's going well. Maybe we humble ourselves a little bit when they aren't going well. I know that's been true for me. When I had a kidney stone, I never prayed harder. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> then that's like that will that that will bring you to your knees for real. Mike, what are your thoughts about the need for a higher power? Um, I am a jerk. I will always, I continually work to replace God with myself. I think I can do a better job than a creator. And so I want to my natural default state is to try to run my own affairs and to to be the god of my own little head in my own little universe. And when that, when I'm in that state, I am the kind of person that nobody wants to be around. And I can look back at my life and see that the greatest, deepest mistakes and tragedies that I have created, uh, my own hand have come from me being in that headspace. So I have a life lived. I have lived life experience now that I can see very dramatically a black side of me and a white side of me or a light and a shadow side of me. And the shadow side wants to gravitate towards extreme ego selfishness at the highest possible level. And then the light side of me wants to gravitate outside of myself and then to something else. And for me, investing that energy into a air quote, higher power, God, deity, Buddha, Whatever it is that, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I think is good to, in this conversation is we, we may be approaching this topic from our own particular spiritual or religious context, but our audience may also have their own with their own vocabulary. So I may use the word God and you can just insert some other word there. Higher power is a real good generic term. The universe, you know, there's a lot of ways to do this. I think it's a human, it's, it's a through line of humanity throughout all time to come up with a higher power and then seek that, seek, seek connection to that. So I'm t clicked into that too. And I'm tapped into that. And I'm a different person when I live my life outside of my own headspace aimed at a higher power. What makes it so difficult for people? You know, some of our audience are believers in the traditional kind of thoughts about a higher power or some deity, but for those who just struggle with it. What do you, what do you see? I mean, maybe even, uh, Dean, should I call you Reverend or? Oh, Dean? no, no, no. Just okay. Dean. Yeah. All right. I didn't mention that in the introduction, Reverend and Dean Center. <laughs> so, you know, you may even have parishioners or members of your congregation who attend and they're, they're there and they show up and they sing the songs and they participate, but still may struggle in their connection to, uh, to God or a higher power. What makes it so tough? Or, or men? Well, I think there's a lot of things, and I think Mike tapped into one, and that is that uh, our own ego says, hey, I can handle it. I can take care of it. I'll be God. And so <laughs> we replace God with us as long as things are going great. And then when we get the kidney stone, when our kid gets sick, when our marriage is on the rocks, that's when we start looking for something outside of ourselves, because quite frankly, we can't control the world. And when you can't control everything, you start losing and when you get out of control, you reach to attempt to gain some control. And so I think part of what men do, men by nature, you know, the name of this thing is alpha. 
you know, want to be in control, want to be in charge, want to run things. And a lot of the guys that I deal with, that's what they want to do. Um, and my work with the police officers are that way. In fact, their job is to be in control when they go on a scene. And then when they go home, what do they want? They don't want to be, have any control. They want to crash. They want to let that thing go. But when you talk about traditional, you know, traditional church type settings, yeah, there's people in my church that, you know, come, participate, et cetera. Uh, most of them know they don't have it together. That's why they're there. Um, they've been able to acknowledge the fact that they don't have that control and they submit that to God or God as they, they know him. But the struggles come in a variety of ways. People that come from dysfunctional backgrounds, people who've had horrible fathers, abusive fathers, uh, people who've had distant fathers. There's a whole variety of different ways and different filters through which we quote unquote see God. And most often, you know, we tend to create God in our own image. Mm, interesting. Instead of allowing us to see God the way he tells us who he is. And sometimes that creates problems. It's interesting you mentioned about not having a good relationship with a dad. I found, I guess, just kind of informally done my own little survey in my head over the last 20 years or so. When I'm talking to people about this, it seems like a one common denominator, one common situation is that a man who struggles with a belief in a higher power did not have the, the masculine role model in his life. We're talking about, you know, in the Judeo-Christian sense, a father in heaven, so to speak. And they, they don't even know what it's like to have a father right here in, in, in this place. Or that was an unhealthy dynamic in some, to some degree. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about now we're this invisible father who lives in the sky. <laughs> right. That's, that's difficult for some guys to really have any concept of if they haven't had healthy modeling uh, from, from male role models. Um, what other things make it difficult? Maybe people were raised in some faith tradition and they, they've been around it. They've had the, they went to Sunday school and they had some foundational things that were shared. Where do they lose it? Where do they lose the connection to that? Well, I think there's probably a lot of ways you can lose it. You know, I mean, if you look at the prodigal son, people want to go out and do their own thing. And everybody wants to do their own thing. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you come from a religious background or not. You kind of want to say, hey, I'm, I can do this thing now. You're 18. I can do what I want. I can drink now. I can gamble. I can, you know, I can whatever. And I'm going to show you that I can handle this. And it's fine until you can't handle it. Um, but uh, I, I think. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that stuff. <laughs> well, and I think. I think from my perspective and a lot of what I've seen has to do with extremes. When you get anything to an extreme, whether it's religion to an extreme or non-religion to an extreme, any extreme seems to be hazardous. And even from a biblical perspective, God wants to have balance. Mm -hmm. Balance is healthy. Extreme is unhealthy. So when you go to any extreme, brings unhealthiness. Unfortunately, some religious models have that. They have the extreme side and that most of it's law-based. Right. You got to do this. It's the rules. You got to go here. You got to do this. You got to do that. And when that starts happening, now you go back to, you know, the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with who were the Pharisees, the mm -hmm. religious leaders. Why? Because they were putting all these laws and regulations and rules on people and then that's where Jesus came into the picture was to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'm going to give you rest. And the weariness was from all these rules and regulations that people couldn't live up to. And quite frankly, there's a lot out there that we can't live up to today. You know, that's so interesting. I, and, and, I, and I'm curious your thoughts on this too, Mike. But when I, when I have had difficulties, I said I had a love-hate love relationship with God. What I really have had a love-hate relationship with, with is religion. And I, I realized, honestly, this has only been in the past year, that where I struggled was that I was worshiping religion mm. instead of worshiping God. And, I, and, it, and they were just, they almost seemed synonymous that, well, this is, this is the vehicle to get me there. And so this must be, it must be the same thing. I've been trying to change that. Um, for myself, I still use religious practice as a method um, to connect, but 
curious your thoughts on, you know, the demands on people, Mike, the, you know, people are turned away. They were raised in some form of, of a religious type of group. And then they're associating a bunch of demands with their connection to a higher power. They're maybe they're separate and, and very separate. But what, what have you seen as you worked with guys about that being stuck in that way? Well, so I think the good pastor here just completely, I feel like you and I have had a hundred conversations where I've said the exact same thing. And I'm on record on this podcast, on this show, having really said very similar things to what we just heard. And that, and that is a, that was a personal experience of mine where I created a, I created a God in my image in my own image, because, well, firstly, I wanted to replace God as often as I could. I only used him or went to him when I realized I was a stupid, simple, foolish child and could not wipe my own butt. And so I needed him to come do that for me. But as soon as my pants were on, then I was a, I was a scream. I was a, I was a loose baby wrecking my own havoc until it was too much. And then I cried again, Came desperate again. Yeah. Yes. So I had this relationship with deity. That was this push, pull, go away, come here, go away, come here. This just really, um, schizophrenic relationship. Okay. The other thing I did, so there's that, that's a piece of data. Then another thing that happened was I, I was invested in a religious model, Mormonism, where that is a, that's a system as all systems are. Now, let me be, let me just throw something here. That's a, that I think is worth noting. You can be in a family and that is a system and a, and a church is a system and a school is a system and your job, your career, your company, the government, everywhere, every time two people get together and have an idea about how to do a thing, they create a system and a hierarchy and complexities. And then there are, there are, then it's off the rails. Whenever two people get together and say, oh, we should do a thing, it's broken. It's bad and it's broken and it's flawed. And there's only some slight glimpses of greatness and true purpose. But for the most part, I don't want to know what percentage to assign to it, but for the most part, a lot of it is just garbage and nonsense and stupidity and off the original intent and the original focus of what it was trying to do. It it goes out in the weeds and my religious community is such that it rewards performance and conformity. And it, it praises people who have enough serotonin in them to sit in the chair and do what you're told and smile and sing and be polite and color in the lines. It rewards those people and, and, and if you, me, if I, when I couldn't do that, then I would flip over to this. Well, then it's all for shit. You know, the Pharisees lived 633, 600, 633 rules, right? The Levitical order was like 663 or 33. Somebody correct us in the, in the comments later laws. Well, I would become very fatalistic. And when I broke, I just made up an arbitrary number in Mormonism. There's, uh, you know, what X number of laws we have X number of standards. And when I personally felt like, well, I've, I've broken X percentage, I just F the whole thing, chuck it all. And then I would do this really big swing saw back and forth, back and forth. I would try, try, try really hard to get God to love me again because I just screwed up all this other stuff. And then I would try to earn it, earn my place back. And then I would just, I'd know I couldn't make it. I couldn't do it. And I, so I was worshiping at the throne of religion, believing that it was religion that would bring me to God, that would bring me peace, that it was my observance of religion and practice of religion that would get God to, to love me. And the most beautiful thing that is that happened in my religious career was to be disfellowshipped from it to have, I was sat at my own and this, the, I have no animosity towards this happening. In fact, this was the best thing that could have happened to me. I'm so happy this happened and I'm so grateful for the people who were involved and that it did happen. I have the highest of thanks and regard and praise that it happened. What it did was it broke the unhealthy attachment that I had between 
my higher power and this earthly construct. It smashed it apart. It broke it because I had created a link that shouldn't have ever existed. I morphed God into this human system and I polluted and corrupted a relationship that I could have had with him with this weird morphy thing. And by getting disfellowshipped, it was the most brilliant thing that ever happened because then I could just say, Oh, I don't want to, I just closed the book of religion and opened the book of heaven of spirit of connection. And it's been the most beautiful part of my, my spiritual sanity is now based on only pure connection to heaven and the rest of, and I'm a practicing Mormon, but it is only like I'm wearing these pants and I have on this shirt. That is to say, it's just, and, and people could maybe recognize you. Maybe you wear a lot of shirts like that. Maybe you wear a lot of golf shirts and then a lot of blue jeans. And so, well, that's kind of his thing. That's his look. And so I look at the practice of my religion as if it's like, this is sort of, you know, I always wear these shoes or shoes like this and I wear pants like this. It's just sort of part a part of style. Yeah. It's part of my style. It's sort of like my jam. It's like who I am, but these clothes don't make me who I am. Mm. Right. They don't define who I am. And there is no, there is no eternal significance to whether I wore these pants or another pair of pants what matters is who I am underneath these clothes. It's a weird analogy. Don't take them off. Don't, just don't, <laughs> don't show us. We don't need to see who you really are. It's a weird analogy, but who I am is who I am, irrespective of the pants and the shirt. Right. But the pants and the shirt do, it is symbolic of who I am. I don't wear leather jackets with spikes on them because that sends a message that that's a, you know, do you just follow right. it? Yeah, it's a uniform. It's a uniform or it's sort of projecting who I am as a person. That's not who I am. And so that's not how I dress. So for me, my, the practices in my religion, they do define me and they do shape me, but they don't. I am firstly connected to God and then secondly connected to a religion. And only one of those anchors me. The other just helps me navigate my way through this life. That's a powerful, that's a powerful story right there. Dude, you've got some feelings about that. Share them with us. <laughs> I know that Mike's been on this real journey. Um, had a similar experience. Um, I was excommunicated from the same church, and um, I was I was not bitter and angry, but I but I kind of became that probably because I I went like you said the other direction completely. I had a client the other day who talked about her sister had done some shady thing to her. She said, "I'm I'm going to kill her." And it hit me that day, just last week, it hit me that that's what I thought I was doing. I, ha I had some really unfair things happen in my life in a, in a marriage, my first marriage. And, and I felt like, I, okay, so I was angry at God because I thought I was in the right place. And why should the rain fall on me? And it did. And I think I was, I, I kind of had the attitude like this client, I'm going to kill you. It's like I had the, the I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything you told me not to do. I'm going to go down every path you told me not to do because I'm mad at you because you let this thing happen to me. And this has been 10, 11 years that I've been kind of working myself through that. And so that's why this topic, we've, this is probably maybe the fourth time we've discussed reverence. And um, I feel like this is, I'm just now, only now ready, really ready for this conversation because I've got my heart in a better place. Other reasons that men find this difficult. Dean, what do you see? I mean, uh, somebody, you know, they prayed for something. It didn't come true. They uh, can't believe there was a flood, you know, Noah and the animals. I mean, like this is some, these are some colorful stories and things. They are no doubt. And there's basically a lot, of, there's a ton of reasons that we can have why we might not believe in God. And the whole idea of, when I prayed for something and it didn't happen, understanding the purpose of prayer, God's not a Santa Claus. <laughs> right. So basically the bottom line is a lot of people though get taught, well, you just pray to God when you need something. Mm. Well, that's only one piece of prayer. Yeah. God tells us to, to ask him for things because he wants to be in a relationship with us. And 
And what, what you were talking about, Mike, was the whole idea of the difference between religion and relationship. And, and religion mm. is man's attempt to find God. Relationship is the fact that God has found us. Mm. And when we're trying to create constructs, and I'm a believer in the church. See, I think, the, I think God created the church. In fact, if he wouldn't have created the church, it wouldn't exist because man is so horrible at running things, it would have died by now. Uh, it's bad enough. And in fact, what they've said about my organization, uh, I, I belong to the Assemblies of God, is that uh, I heard this one professor I had in, in Bible college. He basically said, uh, yeah, he says, the Assemblies of God, um, how did he, it, it's, it's kind of like Noah's Ark. It's really stinky. That's the best thing afloat. <laughs> That's a good one. And, um, and all of, you can say that about any of them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and vehicles are one thing, but here's the problem. When we begin to say, and you alluded to this, worshiping the church, when you start doing that, now you've come away from relationship. God wants relationship. And what Mike talked about earlier was what King David said. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's what God's looking at. He's looking at the heart. But what do we do? We create these things on the outside, these boxes we can check off. And when we do, guess who feels good about it? We do. Mm. That isn't what God feels good about. Yeah, he's fine with behaviors, et cetera. But when it starts turning into all these things are saying, hey, I've got to conform to this. I think all men rebel against that. Hey, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. I'm a leader here. Right. I'm running the program, yeah. not you. Right. So I think the tension between, okay, where are the parameters in a relationship with God? How much freedom and autonomy do we have? And then how much does God have? And I think if you start looking in God's word, he gives us guidelines. His guidelines and his laws aren't to keep us away from things. It's to protect us. Mm. But a lot of times our perspective is, oh, what about this? What about that? Hey, some of the stories can be difficult to believe. Quite frankly, a lot of the liberal theologians don't believe some of them. Mm. However, the key is what's happening in your own heart? What's happening in your own life? What's God saying to you? I come from an organization that says God wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to talk with you. He wants to commune and connect and interact with you. And I think there's a variety of ways that that happens. You know, there's old spiritual disciplines, uh, disciplines of solitude, where you get alone, you settle yourself, you quiet, meditation, some might even call it. Uh, There's a variety of ways to connect with a God. But you have to ask yourself, hey, am I ready for that? Is that something I want to do? Nobody's going to be able to make you do it. Nobody's going to be able to make a man do it for sure. Is there any obligation following belief? Like, let's say there's a man out there and he thinks, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, his grandma took him to church as a kid and he thinks maybe there's some higher power out there, but he's afraid of what he's going to have to do if he starts believing. (laughs) Um, Is that a valid concern? Are there things that you have to do? Do you have to clean up your life? Should you, because one of those, uh, the questions of philosophy, like basically how should I conduct myself? Mm-hmm. That that's a question where I think a lot of this, even the man-made part, is created. Like, okay, here's how you should conduct yourself. I mean, even the Alpha Quorum is, we've got the Red Nine. Here's the way you should conduct yourself. And maybe this is priestcraft we got going on over here. I'm hoping it's not, but we're so to to have a framework for how am I supposed to behave? Are there duties? You become a believer. You find some connection to a higher power, and maybe that depends on this Eastern religious thought or is this Judeo-Christian stuff or whatever, but do we have to do something? Can I jump on that? I know I want to hear what Dean has to say, but something that Dean actually said earlier makes makes me want to say this really quick. Extremism. I know people who worship the Bible. Yeah. I know people who reject the Bible. I know people who worship Jesus and those who reject him extremism in any, in any of the ends of belief. I, th- I think that when a person devotes himself to the flawless outcome of some anchored belief, 
that person is, is set up for disappointment. So if a person says the Bible, and I know people like this, the Bible is everything about it, cover to cover, true, the whole thing, like oh, that, kind of, that kind of mindset, prepare for disappointment. Someone who says, I believe in my spouse. They are the, the you know, they hung the moon and they cannot fail. A lot of us are bad spouses ourselves, me included. But I think the broader picture I'm making is anybody who anchors themselves so completely on anything that is of this physical world, a, a person was involved. When a man was involved, prepare for disappointment. The beauty that for me transcends that. And, and again, this is something that you would, that Dina just touched on. And this is what I think a man can do. And this is what I would recommend a man could do. Look through that, look past that, find beliefs that work, find systems that work and find structures that work and then study those and apply discipline towards those like the alpha nine, like 12 step, like a church, like a system. I believe systems are beneficial to people. They're beneficial to behavior. They're beneficial to help me manage my thoughts. This is the point I was going to circle back to what Dean said earlier. This is what I think it behooves a man to do. Find a way to connect through meditation or centering or calmness or breathing or whatever it is so that a man can find a way to soothe and calm the inner animal that is inside of us. And if religion is a, is a vehicle that works for a particular man, then then I say, with caution, I would suggest anyone pursue religion, comma, with caution. Anybody going into any system should apply caution and be thoughtfully aware of how much he's getting sucked into that. And I know people in 12-step who have turned that into a cult. And I know people in all kinds of systems, they have become a, a cultist to their system. And I know people in who political, there are political cults. Sure. There are scientific cults. We are saturated with cultism. I would say red flag, red warning, caution to all of that. What is true and what is real for me beyond any of that? It is, am I at peace? Can I sit in a quiet room in a, in a, in a chair and let my mind just settle on something beautiful and something peaceful and something that brings me calm and joy that. And I think Dean just did a really lovely job when he kind of met, brought that into the conversation. I'm glad he did to me. That is the heart and the key and the core of, of a practice flavored with whatever, whatever the sign out in front of the building says, I don't think it matters. But if someone's sitting in a pew and they don't have that, there's work to be done and there's, there's work that can be done. This is a thing that can, that every man I think can and should do. It's so, you're a fascinating guy when it comes to your spirituality. And, and I've looked up to you for that a long time because you're very much involved, but kind of hated at the same time. <laughs> and you're, and you're a little skeptical, but you're showing up at all the things, you know? <laughs> So what, tell, talk about, if you don't mind, some of the things that you do, and maybe you too, Dean, like what in religious practice do you do that does help you find that connection to your higher power? What are, the, what are the activities that you can throw yourself into and say, yeah, I like this one. This one right here, this brings me peace. This is totally good. This enlarges me and helps me feel connected to God. For me, Dean had said something too earlier about the church. God gave us a church. I look at the church, there's a small C church and a capital C church. The small C church to me is the system and the construct. To me, that's the small C. I'm a participant in a construct and I willingly do, I willingly do it because I think there's value to that. Where I put all of my efforts is in the capital C church and that's the body, that's the believers, that's the that's those who present themselves. And so for me, I am all in when it comes to service and an offering of my money and my 
efforts and my time and capacities to the body of fellowshippers with a capital C. That's for me, the capital C church, the small C church. It's just the sign out front and, you know, we sing these songs and we do things this way. I'm fine with that. I'm happy to go along with that. Um, that's, that's my piece. So service, singing, uh, donation, you know, contributing, being a part of that, giving of yourself. Mainly the youth. Mainly the youth. Connecting with other people. Okay, Maybe it, that, there, there it is, the kids. I'm all in with, um, so in my, in my congregation, I'm sort of like the youth pastor to 14 and 15-year-old boys. I'm all in. Take them on trips, do Sunday school type lessons, have, yep. have uh, ice cream events and whatever, all that. whatever you can come up with. And it's all centered on trying to help them grow spiritually. That's it. Okay. So giving is a part of where, where you find that that's, that is a spiritual practice. And do you think you could find that same activity in the one down the street? Could you find that same benefit if this was at Dean's church? Yeah. It's yeah, a, it's, I a, do. it's about what you're sacrificing and giving to share with other people. How about you, Dean? I mean, you're running the show at your, at your church, but what about traditional religiosity increases your spirituality? Well, see, I don't see myself as a real religious person. And, oh, that's and that, interesting. That's because, again, my, my view, my perspective of God is that we have a relationship. He's my father. I'm his kid. I'm going to blow it sometimes, but there's nothing I can do that's going to cause him not to love me because the scripture tells me that nothing can separate me from his love. So it's not based on performance. And so what I do is I base my perspective of God on who he said he was. And I have to, I have to work sometimes at getting my own construct or thoughts of who I think God is, I have to be able to push those to the side in order to know who God truly is. And I believe that God reveals himself in his word. You asked me something earlier, or you asked, hey, what about these people when they, they want to have some kind of connection with God, higher power, et cetera, but they're afraid, oh my gosh, if I start going to the church and they're going to start telling me, do this, do that, do the other thing. What we believe, yeah, there's some guidelines, the Ten Commandments. Okay, those are, those are clear guides. Nobody's probably going to argue with those types of things. Right. In fact, they're in our current laws in our country. Mm. So those are universal. What we believe is that, yeah, God's Word gives us some guidelines. But beyond that, we believe that the Holy Spirit, the third portion of the Godhead, if you want to go Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there should be some conviction from the Holy Spirit telling us what to change. I'll give you an example. There was a, a guy I know that pastors a church in Colorado, and they ended up somehow or other, this, uh, this lady that was a dancer at a club, topless dancer, she ends up coming to their church, making a commitment to Christ, and everybody had heard about it. You know, and in fact, she gets this pastor's phone number, calls him up at home after he preaches this message out of Corinthians about how our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. She calls him up and he's like, he's all worried that his wife's going to be upset and all this stuff. And she says, hey, is what you said true about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Like God lives, like lives in us? And he said, well, yeah. And she goes, so God might not be really pleased with some of the things I'm doing right now. And basically what was going on was she was feeling some kind of conviction. It was the Holy Spirit that was saying, hey, I want to help clean you up and change you because I've got something better for you than this. And so... My perspective is that it's not the church's job to impose something on people. When you have a relationship, you have a relationship with somebody, you have influence with them. And I have a relationship with God, so he should be influencing me. That change comes from him, and it's from the inside. And when it's not imposed by an organization, it's different because now I want to please my heavenly father because he did something that 
I could never do. He gave me the power to overcome, to change, to be who he wants me to be. Hey, does that mean I'm perfect all the time? No. But basically, I look at it as, hey, God wants to change me from the inside out, not from the outside in. Not just the clothes, not wearing things, not going through the motions. That's the, out, that's the outward side. God, that's what man looks at. God looks at the heart. So he's got it narrowed down to a few things, you know, love God and love others. If we're watching you on TV, if we're, if we're following you around with a drone camera, we're watching Dean Sander and we're saying, oh, he's, he's doing it. He's doing his, he's doing his spirituality right now. I mean, you, you, you've talked about the word, which means you're reading. Yeah. You're reading. I'm guessing that includes like prayer. Yes. I'm guessing you, you, there's music, you know, that's a, is that part sure. of your, oh yeah. you know, your whole individual and in the congregation worship stuff. Mm-hmm. So music, reading, service, Mike mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. giving, you know, sharing of yourself, sure, teaching other people. Absolutely. We were just talking before the show. Dean is a, is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He talks about, you know, people that, that come to him with help with their relationships and so forth. And he's basically talking with them about, you know, the, 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 the spiritual side of things. So you're not only, you know, you're leading this thing, you're hopefully trying to be an example to other people. You're reading, you're using music, prayer, and you're teaching other people. Yeah, and serving. Service. Uh, and, and Mike jumped on that. My service, my volunteer service is with the police department. Try to help officers, to try to connect with them, knowing that they have to deal with a lot of trauma. And trying to help them see, hey, there's, there's ways through this stuff. I want to talk for a few minutes about the atheist, the agnostic. You know, an atheist, maybe that's the prefix A means not or without. So atheist means without a theistic belief. You, you have no belief in God. Agnostic, the A, is, the A means not or without. And that means, I think that means like knowledge or something like Comes that. Comes from gnosis, yeah. Gnosis, yeah. Knowledge. Mm-hmm. So they ag- believe there is a God. They just don't have a faith in him. Okay. That's the difference between agnostic. So, I mean, there, maybe there are guys listening to the show. They're intrigued by the title. They're intrigued by Dean's picture. <laughs> they want to hear what Mike's up to these days. And maybe they're atheists, but they want to have some sense of spirituality, or they're not ready, or they've had some, we'll call it a spiritual injury. Maybe that's what I've thought that I was dealing with at, at one time. Agnostic, atheist, a little bit bitter. Um, how can a person like that explore spirituality? How can a person not interested in the traditional view of God, how can they, how can they improve their spiritual life? I would say it depends on what they're trying to achieve. If, you know, somebody's an atheist and they're like, I'm not, I'm not really even interested in that dimension. Then what are their goals? What do they want to achieve in life? Um, I think they have to find some sense of something outside of themselves that could define in some way, shape, or form, what do I want to be? Do I want to be a better dad? Do I want to be a better husband? Do I want to be a better professional or worker wherever I'm at? And so I think they have to define or decide, hey, what are my goals? And that's going to move them toward that. Typically, it's something outside of yourself. But I'm probably not the best person to talk about the whole atheistic side. (laughs) Better with the, you know, the person who's been injured. That's a different thing. Because a lot of people don't understand that, you know, God can handle your anger. Mm. God can handle your emotions. He created them, for goodness sakes. And so um, I encourage people, hey, have it out with God. God Mm. can handle it. He's not some kind of wimp. He can handle this stuff and let him have it. In fact, if you look in the book of Psalms, that's what David did all the time. He's constantly hollering and hammering and why are you doing this? What's going on? My enemies are after me. What's happening? We have this kind of American culturized view of God sometimes that we're supposed to be somehow insulated uh, from problems 
Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It comes to everybody. I don't care who you are. Are you going to have a faith or not? It has to be apart from what happens to you because what happens to you isn't as important as what happens in you. God wants to do something in me. He may use something that's happening to me in order to change me again from the inside. But it depends on how we take that. Do I take this situation where I was in a situation where I had to foreclose on a condo I had in California, lost my jobs, um, the economy went in the toilet, and that's what ended up having me move back to Las Vegas here. And I was mortified. I was like, I mean, need to get out of the ministry. I'm a bad testimony. I can't even pay my bills. I kept paying on that thing while I was living down here. Nobody's in it. Finally, this person told me, Dean, stop paying on it. And long story short, we lost this place. And I was, I, I was like, ah, maybe I need to get out of the ministry, man. This is a bad testimony. Then other people were like, this happens to everybody. What happened? You lost your jobs. Uh, you went through, you know, you had to relocate. And you can't pay on something if you're not living in it. And I walked away from that with what I called my $25,000 refrigerator. That was, <laughs> I got a refrigerator that, out of that place. That was my down payment. So $25,000 refrigerator, it's gone. But uh, all, all that to, to, I think, say this, hey, a lot of things happen to us in life. When things happen to us and those bad things happen to us, my perspective on that is that's when I say, God, what are you trying to do in me? And as a result of that situation, when we went through the 08, 09 crash here in Vegas, I could identify with lots of people in my church that lost their homes. At the time when I lost mine, I'm ticked at God. I'm frustrated. What's going on? I'm a bad provider, all this stuff. But what happened in the end? In the end, God used that situation for me to be able to identify with others that went through it. Now you have empathy. Now you can sympathize. And exactly. And that. I can relate. I can connect. I can minister. I can serve. It seems like you're saying you have to make a decision. What is your decision about your belief? You know, what, what, is, what is your goal? What is it you're after? And at some point, you have to make a decision. Am I going to pursue this or not? And if so, there maybe there are other decisions to make. Mike, the injured, the person who's spiritually injured thinks he should have some spirituality. That's, you know, wellness. That's uh, the, the balanced person. That's the man trying to, to be whole and trying to grow up, but just feels like he can't do the God thing. I think that a lot of American men are believing in a feminized deity and it is not serving them very well. So let me, so let me explain that. In my religious practice, we had, to, we had to speak with God in these reverent, hushed tones. And there was, a, there was a specific vocabulary that I was taught to approach God with. And I would be disrespectful if I addressed him as any, anything outside of these, these, these Anglican, Euro, these, these, these King's, English. King's English terms, that I would be disrespecting the creator of the universe, that he couldn't hang if I didn't address him thusly. Thee and thou and thine. Bullshit. <laughs> That's garbage. And that I had to read, the only way I could read what he said was it was in it's the same kind of language that I, the Shakespeare. I had to read God in Shakespeare. Nonsense. And then, and then, and then I had to sit in a chair and put my, I had, to, I had to wear a costume, my church costume, right? Cause he wouldn't, I would be disrespectful if I wore anything other than a business suit, right? I had conducting business, like Sunday business. I have to put on my business suit and go do my God business, right? Wearing my church costume. So, and then the whole construct in, in a lot of American men's was that it's, and then the pictures of Jesus in the buildings that I would go to was this very gauzy, soft lit, you know, um, hallmarky Jesus. 
right? Oh my. Right? The kind of Jesus who would like just be, his hands would be soft and he'd be like, you know, exfoliated and lotioned up. And like, that's the kind of Jesus imagery. The whole, the, the American imagery that goes along with God and Jesus, in my opinion, is utter rubbish. It's mostly nonsense. And I don't know where it started and I don't know who's perpetuating. Well, I do know who's perpetuating it, but it doesn't serve me. It doesn't work for me. And so for me, the, uh, the Lieutenant Dan guy in Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah. Dina talked about God is able to handle your anger. And some of us are pissed (laughs) at the dad that we have, you know, we've, you know, we, we taint our relationship with him, with all of this, this pain that we had, that I have, and then I make it his fault. And then I can hate him for it. Cause he didn't rescue me when I had my little prayer moment, please rescue me from the stuff that I did myself or that just, I mean, I'm, I'm a broken person in a broken world and I want it to be better than this. And you're not making it better than this. It's your fault. And I hate you for it. So these like deep, dark, angry resentments are in so many men. And then they're, they're offered this, like, you know, this delicate, like this Jesus and this God and this heaven, who's like, he can't have like a lot of, I know a lot of people, a lot of men who don't go to church because they don't want to, they don't respect that kind of deity. And I don't either. I don't respect the, sweet, delicate, I have to approach you and I will piss you off unless I, unless I say the words that I'm supposed to say, I don't respect that God. And I don't want that God. And that's not the kind of God that is going to work for me. So if you're listening to this and you're as mad about the way that your church or your religion handed you this nonsense imagery of what God is and who God is, and you're as mad as I am about it, then reject it and ignore it and move on and find a way to connect with the, with heaven. That is on the, that is the Dean has said this so wonderfully relationally dig in to figure out who heaven is, who the higher power is for you. Call it whatever you want. Form an image in your own head. Here's something that was shocking to me. I guess not shocking, but that was this wonderful discovery: is Jesus was kind of a dirty guy who lived with dirt bags and hung around with people who had body language they they cussed and they were kind of foul and gross and they were working men and they were kind of trashy and they were kind of hard people and they were the low they were the lowest of the low in many instances. And Matthew, a tax collector, was just a cheat. He was a he was a criminal cheat. He was a cheater, scumbag, loan shark. He was despised. Jesus hung out with hookers. He hung out with transvestites. I'm putting that in there because that's what I think. I think he hung out with people with needle tracks in their arms and tattoos and tear tattooed tears on their eyes, on their cheek. I think he hung out with just people who were who all there are, they're really all there are. That's all there are in life is people that have lived experiences. And most of what passes as religion projects itself as the sanitized version of humanity. And I don't respond to that. And I don't resonate with that. And so that's my answer. That's a long answer. So your question, maybe the general topic is what is it about men? What is it in men that, that causes them to find it hard to go to church or to believe in God. And I think that sums it up for me because the God that was presented to me didn't resonate in my heart. And it's, and I don't know if it does, if it does listen, if I'm offending you, I'm sorry. And I apologize. If that's the God that you, if that all, if everything I just (laughs) shat on, if that's what is working for you, then please forgive me. I mean, you no offense, but none of that works for me. And so it required me to pursue my own relationship outside of that. And I found it and I am on fire for it. And that's why my religion is not meaningless. I don't want to, I don't want to be that strong. My religion is meaningful, but yet at the same time, it's rather meaningless. It's just an appendage to who I am as a, as a spirit centered man, comma. Oh, and I also happen to go to this church, but it's just this, right? Do you follow what I'm saying? If any of this resonates 
with any man out there. And you don't have to go to a church to find this. Dean said this, and I'll, I'll repeat back to it. You can find this in your, in the forest. You can find this kind of connectedness, uh, uh, on a motorcycle, on a trip, watching a sunset. You can find it holding the hand of your child, walking along the beach. You can find it looking at a painting. You can find this little spark of this can grow and it can, it can expand and consume and grow into your whole heart. And it's all over. It doesn't have to be in a pew. It doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be in front of some sacred holy book. It can be as simple. Like I just said, it could be as simple as sitting on your surfboard and a dolphin swims by. And it could be something that a client says to just shake something loose. That was never these two wires that never touched and then just zap and they touch and nothing else is the same from that moment forward. And however that happens for somebody, when it does, it's just transcendent and so beautiful and so meaningful. And I urge every man to have that, and however that looks. I call that sublime experiences, you know, that we should seek those. And I think the truth is they're everywhere. One of my most spiritual experiences in the last five years was floating on my back in Lake Mead. I was there with my kids. And I realized I'm in a gigantic, cold, clear lake in the middle of the desert. And I'm looking up at the sky, no clouds. And it just, uh, that was very spiritual in a way. I want to wrap this episode up. Last thoughts as it comes to finding God, forgiving God, using religion as a means to connect. Tell us, I guess, your, your final words when it comes to a man trying to maybe mend a relationship with God. We've talked a lot about relationship, find a relationship for the first time with God, and how religion plays into that. Well, I would first say one of the things that God says is that if you seek me, you'll find me. And if you want to find God, the first thing you do is look. And I think you can look in creation. There's a lot of different places you can look. And for some people, like Mike was saying earlier, the church provides a construct that is able to guide certain people toward God. For others, they're color outside the lines type of people. And they don't tend to fit in to certain constructs. And one of my professors in, in graduate school, he was an Episcopal priest. He came up with these different levels of spiritual growth, if you will. And part of what he talked about was initially, and he kind of paralleled him off of Lawrence Kohlberg's model of moral development, oh, which yeah. you may be familiar Kohlberg, with. Kohlberg, yes. Yeah. And he basically says, you know, yeah, we start with the rules, but eventually in spirituality, things have to move beyond that. And he talked about the, well, I shouldn't say they have to move beyond that. For some people, they stay within the rules and the guidelines, and that's them. But for many people, it goes beyond that. And he related to different types of people, including, you know, Gandhi, who would have been up at the upper echelon of spiritual development, if you will. I think it depends on the person. And that's where it always comes back to me of, of a relationship with God. And I think people have to, to seek and seeking can happen in a variety of ways. And we were talking about it. How does that happen? Well, for me, it happens with some solitude. It does happen with the Bible. I believe God speaks to me through his word. So he does. It has to be in a language I understand, though. It can't be the Shakespearean stuff. And so we forget that the Bible wasn't written in English anyway. Right. And so if you really want to get to the real, uh, you know, if you want to call it the inspired scriptures, it's inspired in the original language. So. Right, right. Hey, take those steps, move in that direction, and it becomes between you and God. If you want to find God, you have to seek Him. And I think just like Google, whatever you're searching for in life, you're going to find it. In fact, Google that. Type in Google how to find God. I, I promise you'll find, you'll find a billion websites that could lead you somewhere. Go outside, look into the eyes of your children. Think of what it feels like when you've done a good deed. Those are some of the ways that you can find God. So as we wrap this up, I just want to talk about, go back to our original question. Should we have a higher power? I think yes. I think we need that. I think I've needed that. My worst mistakes, my most miserable times in my life have been 
when I was kind of directionless. I wasn't seeking answers. I wasn't looking for any inspiration. I wasn't reading any sacred text. I wasn't asking for help. I just thought that I had it under control and that I was going to be in charge of my own life. We had a guest early on in the, in our show, uh, David Brownstein, who was a Jewish rabbi. We asked him about the yarmulke and why he wore that. And he said it was to remind him that there's always something above him, that that is God. There, there is a God and it's not me. That was what he, what he talked about. It taught me, taught me something there. So I think we need a higher power. I belong to AA Alcoholics Anonymous and there are a lot of atheists and agnostics there. And some people talk about God as a good orderly direction. <laughs> some people talk about the higher power is the group. So together, this group of people trying to be sober, together that group is higher than me. There was a time when in my angry phase with God, I just couldn't, I could not pray. I just could not read anything. I just didn't want to. I realized one of the ways that I got sober was to realize that these people cared about me. They wanted to hear what I have to say, and they came to share their own stories and their own inspiration. And so I kind of connected to that, a good orderly direction, or just that the higher power was this group of people that were better than me, collectively better, stronger than me. And I could lean on something better, stronger than me. I'm not alone, and I could have some guidance. Well, and the word gestalt means that the whole is greater than the parts. I think we have to realize that we're, we're not all there is. There's got to be more to life than just me, even if it's just others. We, get, we connect to God through relationships with others as well, because if, if he's truly created everybody and we're created in his image, then we can see him in other people, in others. And so for some, God's going to be the group. It's going to be someone else. But I think getting us outside of ourself and in, in therapy, you, you've heard of the term reality testing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you've got to have, you got to bounce things off somebody else, someone else, other people in order to get some perspective. And I think that leads it to, hey, I'm looking for something higher, for something greater than myself, something outside myself. Just as Dean was saying that, I was thinking about when you're on a sports team or you're in some group and AA is a really great one you are pulling for the group. You're playing for the team. You're playing for yourself. You're, you're always trying to put in your best performance, but ultimately it's for the team. It's for the banner. It's for the mascot. I don't mean to say you're playing for the mascot, but it's for the, 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 like go, go red tide or go rebels or go Knights. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, that's your rally cry and you're all aligned around that banner and you're moving the ball forward for that reason. And that's a higher reason than just me, number six. Right, right, Okay? Right. I think we have been created and evolved to be a creature that looks elsewhere, outside and beyond. When we're in a tribe, we do things for the tribe. When we're in a club, when we're in a team, when we're in a family, when we're in a church, when we're in anything, when we're policemen in a, in a unit, when we're in the military in a platoon. Yes, you are an individual and you have the needs that you have and the goals and desires that you have. And you click that in with everyone else. And then the sum of that is much greater and more powerful than it is as just me number six on the team. Sebastian Younger wrote a book called Tribe. I suggest everyone read that. He talks about one of the reasons why one of the main vectors in PTSD is that when a man, uh, when a soldier leaves the platoon, he's, he goes home. There is a profound emptiness inside of him because he is no longer with that band of brothers, with that family, with that community who was, who was so focused on that higher power and the higher power. And I don't mean a, a political mission, like who cares, who cares really like who cares what the mission was. The mission was today. We're going to go do this tomorrow. We're going to go do that. Those are just missions details. Everything about that platoon was it's we save each other. We are in this together. We only, we only succeed if we all succeed. And any group that has a mission is clicked in. We want to be sober. We want to do the thing. We want to do that thing. We're together in this band. That's our power. Not to replace God, but, but there is a power in that. And so 
uh, what I'm trying to do is paint a word picture for somebody who has maybe has previous woundings about I had a bad father and I can't I can't conceptualize God as a father because I had a really garbage earthly father. I totally am empathetic to that and understand that. So for some of us, we can we can start somewhere and we can start with some of the things we've talked about, just finding peace in beauty, peace, uh, connect to the nature, look at your, the eyes of your children, float in your back in the lake, look up at the sky. There's so many ways that you can just feel some peace and feel some ground in us. And then I think the second step is then to look for ways to connect yourself with someone else in some way that then you have synergy and then brotherhood and to do something else. I believe if a man were to begin the journey, at least with that, then he's well on his way. And what that, what that turns into, I believe that the higher power will sort of direct steps and, and direct influences and people will bump into that person and something beautiful will come from that. And I think that every man should be seeking that in some way. I think it's essential. I think it's, it's in your red nine. I think it's part of the human wiring. I think it's in our DNA. I think it's who we are as a created and evolved person to seek that and want that and need that. You guys are so awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Dean. Really appreciate you here. I'm definitely going to have you back. Um, Our next episode is going to be about just more generic kind of spirituality things, humility, gratitude, forgiveness, and those kinds of things that don't necessarily have to do with any religious practice, any higher power talk. So if anybody has given up on us because of this conversation, uh, stick around for the next one because uh, that's where we're going to talk about things that are very much of a spiritual nature. They may come from the teachings of, of religions, but it's really things that have to do with your individual walk. Appreciate you being here, all of you. Until next time, no excuses, Alpha Up. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum.